You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. I know this will be kind of old news by the time this airs, but I hope it's also still current. But we've kind of been getting some growth at the paddle store. Yeah. It's been kind of nice. You're going to see some new faces there. And uh, we want to encourage everyone to uh, to ask questions, uh, be part of the conversation. And, and we appreciate the ones that we have gotten. And ask the questions in the paddle store. Don't just send me private messages. I may not see them. <laughs> well, and the other thing uh, as well, I do want to put this uh, little disclaimer out there to to everyone who listens. If we seem a bit slow getting around to anything at all, I apologize. Uh, you're looking at our entire production staff for Faith and Other Oddities. I'm the research department. <laughs> and yeah, I'm the engineer and producer. <laughs> And um, also the the webmaster, and we so it's me and Emily, and now Joe does uh, a lot uh, for commentarians mm-hmm. uh, and for that. But as far as faith and other oddities and things like that, it's just us here. And then we have a couple moderators in the paddle store um, who are volunteers. Who are volunteers and. Well, I guess we're volunteers too, <laughs> technically speaking. No, I think we were drafted. <laughs> and so, uh, but yeah, I just want to throw that out there. Uh, you know, just bear with us. This is, there's no, there's no major behind the scenes stuff going on. You basically see every, see and hear almost everything that gets done. And for better or worse. But, I was just thinking behind the scenes, like, because I was thinking as I walked out, from our last recording session, we walked right into Poop Apocalypse 2019. Yeah. So behind the scenes is chaotic and revolves around kids. <laughs> yes. My okay. My youngest daughter's potty, potty training, and there was some poop on the floor. It wasn't that wasn't like poop poop apocalypse, but uh, but we're not going to discuss that any further. But <laughs> uh, but I just want to let everyone know that we we do appreciate you. We do see a lot of the stuff that uh, we we see pretty much everything that comes through. We tried it to to get back to you as quick as we can. Uh, it may not always happen immediately, and sometimes we we may forget. So if we do forget, feel free to remind us yeah. uh, politely. Um, <laughs> but we're we're just the two of us on the faith and other oddity side, and trying to and, juggle the rest of our lives around it. But and, yeah, basically the entire the entirety of of uh the raven creek social club as far as people who are actually working it is me emily and joe yeah and joe's in california so and he's got a real job too yeah and he also yeah we all have real jobs that we have to do so um but we we want to we want to thank you for bearing with us as you uh as we try to put this together and make it as best the best experiences as we can make it. Yeah, because we yeah, we enjoy doing this, and I think it's a lot of fun for me. Uh, I've studied some things I probably wouldn't have studied otherwise. And oh, me too. Yeah, it, and so that's really great, but, you know, it, it really is a matter of we've got obligation, family obligations. I think that's my biggest thing right now. Right, that's, that's mine as so, well. Yeah. And, and work and family. Oh, my goodness. And so basically, if we're not doing something for the podcast, we're making sure somebody's staying alive <laughs> so. <laughs> so so yeah um but yes thank you so much everyone for your for your patience and for for hanging with the show um anyway that being said i think we we should move along now I, we do have man have we got a another another touchy one for us today do you um, want to use that descriptor uh <laughs> well we have another explicit bible story that's right um, you know, actually, we actually talked about after one of the episodes, maybe we should change our name to explicit Bible and we can work in tandem. You know, we can <laughs> kind of play Bible. off with naked Bible. Um, I don't know how much they would appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, we have no actual affiliation with, with, uh, Trey or Dr. Heiser. We just, we're big fans of their work. And, Absolutely. Uh, so, 
Uh, but I just thought that would be kind of funny. I, I but I did think that might get in too a little too much of a encroaching on what they do <laughs> as far as name and marketing. Well, what's funny because uh, you know, when they say naked Bible, they're talking about straight up biblical text, uh, getting away from the creeds and uh, mm -hmm. a lot of the extra biblical stuff. Uh, when we say explicit Bible, we're talking about where the scripture, where the Bible is, is actually being explicit. <laughs> yes. And so again, you know, we're not hunting the, we're not hunting this stuff down. It just, it's, <laughs> it's right there in the text you and can't you can't avoid it. Yeah. It's but a, the, the thing is like, and particularly I see it with this story and I think everybody else is going to see it too. Some of the really, I don't want to say burning questions, but that's the only thing that comes to mind that people have about life and sexuality and relationships. If we taught this story the way it was written and, and explained the cultural nuances in a, in a good, responsible mm -hmm. way, then a lot of people's questions would be answered. And we wouldn't have to have some of the, the guilt and the shame that people carry around with them and some of the confusion that we see for a lot of individuals. Yep. So there's a reason to teach these stories as honestly and straightforwardly as we possibly can. And now I do think this is one advantage that you and I have being able to discuss this. We being brother and sister, um, we can kind of be a little bit more open. There is that, that sense that we're just talking about it. Nobody's going to read too much into it. Or if they do, they're just idiots. Right. Uh, I'm just going to be straight up uh, on that one. But, um, you know, so I think that's one advantage that we kind of bring in approaching these topics. We've got our, our humor that kind of, I think, blunts the edge sure, just a little bit. Sure. And and yeah, so, but yeah, we put that out there, let you know, uh, maybe don't listen to this one with the kids around unless you're ready for them to find out where they came from. Right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> or, or if you're ready to explain that to them, we're not going to, we're not going to have, it's not going to be a technical manual. But uh, just be ready for some questions if they're in the room. I, I can so see this. Okay, kids, we're going to read a Bible story now, and then we're going to talk about the birds and the bees. <laughs> so, um, so this story, first of all, we, we need to talk about the placement. Because uh, this story, if you just read through it, it, it's one of those, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. I thought, and, I thought we were talking about Joseph. Yeah, exactly. We, we were talking about Joseph. Now we're talking about Judah. And then we're going to go back to, to Joseph. Although, although, to be fair, uh, to be fair, if you're reading this for the first time, you might think, well, that's the end of Joseph. Well, so, yeah, because we have no, uh, the text doesn't give us any indication. Yeah, there's no foreshadowing that he's going to come back. Precisely. And maybe a little bit, you'd have to really be digging for it. And um, most people just aren't going to well, read that deeply. There's, there's nothing you're going to find in there that's going to indicate that unless you already know the rest of the story. And I think there is, but uh, again, it's, we're going to have to, we'd have to dig real deep. Other as, than giving us his location that he's not dead. Yeah. I we mean, kn we know that he's not like every great movie, um, cliffhanger. So, uh, <laughs> all right. so anyhow, uh, we know that Judah was the one who actually suggested that they sell Joseph. Mm -hmm. And so we, he is one of the brothers who gets mentioned by name in the previous chapter. And, um, this opens up with about that time. So linguistically, the the writer is connecting it. And before we got completely sidetracked there, because it doesn't seem to fit, this is another section where people seem to to say or want to say, oh, this is evidence of those multiple sources that were put together. It was not a unified writing. And we get into the documentarian uh, hypothesis. Right. Yeah. And the, the thing is, we're going to show you why that doesn't work by the time we get to it, the well, end of the story. Or at least your take on our take on why it doesn't work. But um, now one of the things I want to point out uh, from the last chapter, though, is Joseph's 17. He's mm -hmm. the second youngest brother. Mm -hmm. So all these other guys are adults. Oh, yeah. Like all of his brothers. It's not like a bunch of teenagers. It's they're they're all at least 17 or older. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say, you know. Easily, uh, Judah is probably pushing. Mm, he's the last of Leah's children, so he might actually be closer in age to jo uh, Joseph than the others, than like right. Reuben. So Reuben easily um, 21, 23, 
probably even older than that. I, you, I would imagine based yeah, on that's like the most conservative. Uh, based on uh, on the way he behaves and some of some of his descriptions, it seems like he is considerably older than all the other brothers. He seems like he was born an old man. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But yeah, no, I, and like I said, that's the most conservative. That's assuming that uh, that's just a child a year. But realistically, there would be a child two to three, possibly up to five years of nursing as a form of birth control, uh, even though that wasn't their, their goal. Um, so you've got that, that long period of nursing and then an, another birth. So, you know, this could stretch out conceivably 15 years. Sure. So, the, so you're looking at that big of a spectrum. Now, I am sure that somebody has sat down, taken all the little clues and hints, and actually made a, a graph somewhere that shows the exact or, or attempts to make the right. exact dates. But but yeah, I just I did I did think that was one of the things that we didn't draw a lot of attention to. We we mentioned Joseph's age, but we didn't mention that no well, his, text, his adult brothers decided to do this. Yeah, this the, isn't this isn't these are people with life experience who know what slaves do, and so it wasn't like oh hey we'll trade you this for your brother. Oh that sounds like a great deal. You know it <laughs> it was uh. It was it was it was thought out. Well, it was kind of interesting because the text actually it's one of the few times that we do get a specific age is sure. with Joseph. So um, Judah was the one who said, hey, let's sell him. Uh, and then when we go into this chapter. After that, after what? Well, after the selling of Joseph, Judah left his brothers and this leaves some questions. I mean, hear that they were functioning as a unit. They're, they're working together. Uh, they're plotting together. So why does he leave? I mean, I don't think the scripture really gives us a good answer. Right. But I think we can kind of do some speculation and not be too out of line. Mm -hmm. Because I think when he probably when he looked at his brothers, he, he was just reminded of what he'd done. I, I think some guilt came into play here. Uh, that, that's, I mean, that's conceivable. I mean. But the, this chapter, not only is it connected by that one phrase, we have this repetition of words that are found both in the last chapter and in the next chapter. And so uh, I will go down, he recognized, take down, comfort, pledge. These show up over and over again in the stories. Um, there's also some other interesting connections that uh, are going to come out. Uh, and I, I think it's interesting. Is he he went out for? Is it? Uh, let's see. No, I, I I guess I was wrong. I guess I I was thinking that you know he's he's left it. I wasn't sure. Does it say he went out from his brothers, or does it just say he left? Um, the JPS says he the JPS says he left. Yeah, he went down from his brothers. Is what it says in the, okay, the ESV. The That's Hebrew. what I read earlier. So I'm wondering if it's if it's any similarity to that uh, the language of Dina, um, possibly, or like you said with Joseph being sent out. So yeah, uh, this is. Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. if you don't have it, we'll. Yeah, I'm. I'm. The conjugations here are throwing me off. We can. So. We can. We can get with that. Uh, yeah, on we'd have to look at that later, later. on. So, um, Joseph. Uh, sorry, Judah marries a Canaanite woman and she is actually never named herself. Right. Yeah. She's always referred to as the daughter of Shua, which, and again, this is some of the biblical writing that kind of bothers everyone, including myself. I'm like, if she's important enough for one of our main characters <laughs> to marry, why isn't she important enough to have a name? <laughs> I mean, that's just ridiculous to me, but well, Again, I didn't write the Bible. Because in the Hebrew, um, okay, in the English, it says uh, a, a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. What does the ESV have on that verse? That's uh, two. I think it says daughter of Shua. Let me see here. Um, it happened, he went down from his brothers, turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Okay, so in a, I guess it's a later verse that they actually have her just as the daughter of Shua. And when, uh, yeah, it's it it's uh, in course of uh, in course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. Okay, 
Well, if you if you write that in Hebrew, it's Bat Shua, daughter of Shua, mm-hmm. and that is actually the same name that in English we've converted it just a little bit. When we find it in Chronicles and in Kings, Bathsheba. Right. It's the exact same name, and so you have this connection between Bathsheba, Bathsheba, and Bathsheba. Uh, and when you have the same name, you're you're talking about something of a similar substance and personality, and it, it, not necessarily the same person. But again, the, that name represents who and what you are. Right. No, I, and so this is actually kind of funny when when we bring those in because you have uh, you have Judah going out from his brothers, going mm-hmm. out from where he was supposed to be mm-hmm. with the family, mm-hmm. and then in with David's story, you have David staying home when he's not at war where he's supposed to be. Oh, I hadn't put that together. And so you have a, a really great inversion of what's going on. You have the the Bathsheba or Bathsheba, the same name, mm-hmm. and then you. Uh, you have the person, you know, noticing this person when they're where they are not supposed to be. Where they're not be. supposed to be, yeah. And they're also connected because they're probably, I mean, obviously this one's a Canaanite woman. It's spelled out. Uh, in David's story, we don't necessarily know if she is, I mean, she's married to a Hittite. Um, we don't know if she's Jewish, married to a Hittite, if she's another Hittite woman, married to a Hittite. Uh, well, and uh, real quick before we get onto that, um, also, we have uh, Dina is out away from her family, mm-hmm. and we could assume that that was she was not where she's supposed to be. And so, when we have this, when you're not where you're supposed, supposed to, to be, be. <laughs> bad things happen. Recurring. Uh, so, anyway, you're saying uh, what we know about uh, Bathsheba, Hittite's wife. Yeah. So, but whether or not um, it is uh, whether or not she was actually a Gentile or a Jew, we don't know. But we know that she was at least connected intimately with the Gentile. Mm-hmm. So that's important. Uh, we also have some very interesting wording here. Judah saw and he took. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, we're right back to Genesis 3. We're back to Genesis 6. Mm-hmm. We're uh, you know, seeing and taking, even in Dina, seeing, the, you know, Shechem saw her and he took her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pharaoh sees Sarah and takes her. So we're back to that that primal foundational sin of Genesis, and which is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, which results in action and taking what doesn't belong to you. And I don't think I've actually brought this up on on air, but Mickey and I were talking. I think you were part of it last night. Um, you know, the thing in the Bible, there's always that one thing that belongs to God, mm-hmm. and it's off limits because you can't have everything. Sure. And in the moment you take something that, that doesn't belong to you, you're saying that I'm on the same level as God. And that's, that's not where you want to be. Right. So I, I, it's just very interesting to me that this is all coming together. So like I said, that is, uh, re- those words take us back to that Genesis 6 and Genesis 3 in particular. But then we even get more specific with... Um, the, the name is of the children. Now, uh, this says in my JPS, it says that he names, that Judah names the kids. Um, I was going to look at the ESV. Uh, the ESV says he named the first one. Okay, so it's just in some of the uh, manuscripts, uh, the Samaritan manuscript and the Targum of Jonathan. Uh, these are other old versions of the Bible actually have her naming them, which is would be interesting. Well, this this one it on Er or Er, however you say mm-hmm. his name, um, it says she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Er. Then she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And so the first one he names, and the last two she names in the in, in the, the ESV. ESV. Okay, so in the ESV is based on the Masoretic text. So, uh, and we do have the Masoretic text that was preserved, uh, not the Masoretic text specifically, but the uh, that's probably going to be very close to what we find with the Dead Sea or so, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. But that name, that that ear or error, however you want to pronounce it, that literally means watcher or watchful, depending on if you're doing a noun or a verb, mm-hmm. and so. The uh, that connects us back to Genesis six, 
I mean, could that? I mean, I could see, I could see the Genesis six connection. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to discount that, but could could the cho- choosing of the name by Judah have anything to do with the fact that he's the son that that was conceived after he saw the uh, the daughter of of Shua? Um, eh, maybe. I I I I don't know. I I think that one's a little different. Um. I, I think because we do have so many connections to the vision, and you know, of course, this is Judah. This is uh, Jacob's son, and his whole story is about vision. Mm-hmm. And so, I and it's I would be more likely to say that Judah was not thinking about the Watchers, but possibly, you know, this is a Canaanite woman, and mm-hmm. so there's a connection to to the Watchers. Uh, if Judah did name the son, that's got a whole different connotation. Than if she names the son, sure. And so I think that's interesting that there's there's some dispute in the in the older manuscripts about whether or not uh, who named the son. Uh, and for those of you who are like not aware of the word watcher, watcher isn't necessarily always an evil thing. Uh, right. Daniel four thirteen. Uh, I I just chose this verse because it kind of sums everything up very very simply. Uh, it says, "I saw in the vision of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one." came down from heaven. So this is an angel who was doing the right thing. I mean, he's still a holy one. He's not a fallen angel. He's not, there's nothing wrong with him. But very much in the book of Enoch, which expounds on Genesis 6, 1 through 4, the the angels, the fallen angels, are called the Watcher, Mm -hmm. or the Gregory. For any of those who are Supernatural fans, you will get that. (laughs) Uh, So... uh, but, you know, th- this is the thing about names. Bible names often have uh, have very, they're, they're often kind of double-edged. Mm-hmm. They can mean a couple of different things. Because Onan can mean vigorous, or it can mean grief. Mm-hmm. And given what's getting ready to come up, those two names could have two totally different meanings for, in particular, to Tamar. Right. So... And then Sheila means drawn out. And so it, it's the usually drawn out from the womb probably had to be actually uh, assisted okay. uh, in, in birth. But the whole process of Sheila was supposed to be her, her husband, the third husband. And that gets drawn out. So sure. the, the words, there's a lot of play that can go back and forth. And, and I think when the Bible does that, we need to be very careful. Um, not to discount one. Right. Because most of the time they are working together to, to give us a fuller picture. Yeah, to, to, to highlight different parts of the story. Mm-hmm. And they aren't exclusive. One is not exclusive sure. to another. So um, Judah has his three sons. Mm-hmm. Very quick story here. I mean, just boom, boom, boom. Um, and Judah got his, uh, this, we're on verse six. Judah got a wife for Ur, his first son. Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's first son, was displeasing to the Lord, and the Lord took his life. What a biography. Yeah, not much about Ur. That's all we hear about of him. him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Ur lived, he and died. he died. Because he made God <laughs> mad. He didn't even make God mad. He just displeased just him. Displeases me. I, I just think <laughs> of the idea of, uh, see, like, cats pushing stuff off the edge of a table. This displeases me. I, I know that's probably not what happened. Um, and I'm not trying to make fun of God, but it's just the wording is kind of, it, it's kind of an understatement, I would assume. It is, and it's also a pun. Okay. Because it's the exact reversal of, of Ur's name. It's the, the, the two letters of Ur's name reversed. Okay. So it, it's even, not, God didn't just kill him. You're, you're, you're going to be a joke. It, when the text is written, <laughs> what did this guy do? <laughs> I, wait, now that that's kind of funny, and that's actually uh, I, I do want to talk about that because you know we we talk about satire in America like like it's it's just kind of a thing you do, right? Um, but to ancient cultures, um, being laughed at was a big deal, and um, you see this actually a lot in Celtic uh, culture as well. Mm-hmm. If, if if a bard did not like a king, he would satirize him. And, uh, and much to his own risk. 
much to his own risk, but that also, um, the king, any king who was, was satired by a bard lost uh, a lot of respect of the people. Mm-hmm. And if you lost respect, you lose the respect of your people, you can't be king anymore. Right. And so it was, it was one of those things. So, you know, it was, when we look at satire, it's a lot different. And we even see that idea of not wanting to be laughed at come in later in the text. Well, we even see it with Sarah and... Uh, and, and Isaac. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm saying in this particular yeah. story, we see it come back. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, that opens up a whole world of speculation. And there is uh, actually some commentary that says that he refused to sleep with her. And that he didn't want her beauty to be marred by pregnancy. So he refused hmm. to consummate the marriage. Uh, which would be... I can see why that might be something that they would bring into the story to even highlight what's getting ready to happen with the second brother. Okay. So, um, so we're going to read, I'm just going to read what's here. Um, read it out of the JPS. I think okay. I, not, sorry, not the JPS, but, um, as uh, the ESV. Uh, then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the, perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up an offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. This is probably the mo- one of the more graphic verses of the Bible. Yep. One of the more explicit verses. One of the, one of, and one of the... Very misunderstood verses of the Bible. Absolutely. So, so explain to us what's going on here. Okay. Well, let's start out with what Leverite marriage is. Right. Okay. That's that's where I was hoping you'd start. Yeah. Let's start there. Uh, Leverite marriage. Uh, any of us who've been in Sunday school and church, we're familiar with this concept uh, because we've all heard the story of Ruth. And this is Boaz performs Leverite marriage. And it's the idea that if a woman is left a widow, then the males of that man's family, uh, usually with the brothers, starting with the closest relatives mm-hmm. on out, mm-hmm. and would marry her, and the children that they would have were actually the children of the dead brother. That the that the living relative was now kind of a surrogate father, and mm-hmm. so all of the inheritance of the estate, all of the the uh, any property he might have, now would still flow to that son and it wouldn't be part of the brothers, you know, the living brothers estate. It was all still separate. And this was allowing, especially when we get into the land of Israel itself after the Exodus and it's divided up according to uh, family and tribe, this made sure that the land stayed in the family mm-hmm. and that everyone had a place to live and to work and to, some means to sustain themselves. And so, you know, this is, this is something that, you have to be very noble to do because basically you you are reducing your own share of the inheritance mm-hmm. by going and marrying your your brother's widow. Yeah, and th- this seems, I mean, when you put it out there and you start to talk about it with a group of women, it's always funny because you can see them doing the math in their heads, looking like, like at the... Thinking <laughs> about which brother they're going to have to... Yeah. And then going, no, 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 I don't want to... Yeah. <laughs> and... You know, and it's very telling because the, the the idea of sex in the ancient world, it was not about love and romance. This is not a Harlequin, you know, novel. Uh, it was very functional. It was practical. This mm-hmm. is what we do to have children. Right. If, if we don't do this, we die early because we don't have anyone to take care of us. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's the attitude. Yeah. And in this case, it even goes beyond that. It's, you know, if you're a widow, if you're a woman then how are you going to maintain the estates? Mm-hmm. How are you going to work the fields? I mean, granted, there are some women who did it. We have stories in Numbers and Leviticus, uh, I'm sorry, Numbers and Deuteronomy, about um, some women who owned their own property because mm-hmm. they didn't have men in their family. And God made provision for these women to be able to have property. But there, there's some difficulties that are run into. And we also see that with Ruth and Naomi. They have property. They have a place to live. I mean, we don't know how much property they have. because yeah, I mean, because li- mm-hmm. living with a full family is, is hard enough in this time. Right. I mean, like during the during biblical time. Well, and, and when you take it back to Genesis, I mean, Jacob and his crew, they're still pretty nomadic. They're still wandering around. And when you 
think about what it means to be a nomadic tribe, there's always the possibility that somebody can raid your village. There's always the possibility that somebody can walk in and Mm -hmm. take whatever it is. And it really is a matter of having, not saying women can't be warriors, but having enough people around to defend. Yeah. And usually that meant men. Just to be real, it meant having men. And so... Right, because combat used to be more hand-to-hand. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't all projectile weaponry with guns and arrows and things like that. There's a reason why the Amazon women were celebrated. Right. It's because they were the exception. And, you know, again, I've been out in the world. I've spent my time doing rough and tumble stuff with the guys and work the farm alongside of everyone. But, you know, I just have to be realistic. There's some things I couldn't do because I was a woman. Right. I just lacked the strength. So this, this Leverite marriage really was the idea of um, protecting women. It was not meant to just, uh, you know, it wasn't meant to degrade them in any way. It really was about making sure that not only did they have protection during their life, to, you know, as a young woman, but in their old age, they were protected. Well, and it also uh, protected their right to the inheritance they were marrying into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because that's another thing is, you know, if, if there's no sons for, for the inheritance to go to, then what they thought they were getting when they mm-hmm. signed up for this job, it's gone. It's gone. And, and, you know, and I say job, you know, but, you know, you know, I'm but using in it this as, culture. It, it was. It kind of, yeah. It, yeah it, using it, 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 yeah, it's just a shorthand. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is by having children also meant that as they got older and needed care, there was, there was a home for them to move into. Mm-hmm. And so all the way along, this is all about the protection of women. And you know, I think one of the funny things is we read Tamar and Judah's story and we go, ooh, gross, nasty, horrible. We read it in Ruth. Oh, so wonderful. So beautiful. <laughs> it's all about context. And, right. it's, and, you know, we've kind of been conditioned to think that Ruth is a beautiful story. It's really kind of disturbing when you think about it. And... um but then Boaz, we know Boaz redeems Ruth, and he becomes the kinsman redeemer. And we know that this is the same language that was used of Christ later. Mm-hmm. And so it, it becomes that picture of taking care of family and that you don't abandon family. And this is what Onan is doing. And this is what, I, as far as legally, this is what he's doing. Right. He's abandoning family. Right. Functionally, he's abandoning family. Right. So talking about functionally um do you want to talk about like how what's the next on the do we really want to talk about this and how the verse is used and misused and misunderstood and i do and i'll take lead on this one because (laughs) i did write scandalous and i talk about this a lot and you're the one who's Um, done the more research on this so um okay this is the verse that is constantly being used to preach against masturbation right and we even have the term out there onanism mm-hmm. and so this idea that this was onan's sin no no it's not his sin was trying to cheat a widow out of her yeah. out of out of her due and and which i think is kind of funny because when we when you use that phrase and then you look at the book of james Mm-hmm. And it says the only true religion is to take care of orphans and widows. Mm-hmm. Then it makes a lot more sense of why it's such a big deal of oh. what he was doing. It wasn't just that he was, you know, it's having huge. solo time. Yeah. And the, the thing is, you know, if you want to preach against masturbation, find the verses that, that preach against it uh, and then email me when you find them. Because uh, it's never specifically addressed in the, in the Bible. And if that's what you're using this passage for, you're missing the point. Right. And not only, I mean, take it a step further. He is evidently enjoying the encounter enough for it to conclude, but <laughs> without it having any productive value. Okay. Well, let's just. Okay. Well, the reason why. Okay. Oh, reason why I say that. He is using her. Right. He's, sexu- he's willing to sexually use her for his own pleasure. Yeah, but, but he's pulling out, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah it's quite a centerrupt. Uh, and that's, that's, you know, 
the thing is the Welcome fact, to the show, everyone. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's the fact that he is willing to use her mm-hmm. without any intention of actually honoring her. This is the sin. Right. And it's it's not because he didn't even say, hey, you know, I'm not interested in marrying my brother's wife. I'm not going to do it. He actually carried on the charade so that he could have access to her body for his own pleasure. So, so not not only is it not taking care of the duty, it's it's actually it's, it's sexual abu- exploitation. Yeah, it's abuse. Okay. Yeah, it's abuse. So, I mean, he goes even yeah, and I think a lot of people miss that that it, it's the fact that that's going that it's to that level. Yeah, and, and I want to you know I always want to point that out, and this is the reason why God kills him. He he's not doing the right thing on any aspect of this. Right. And matter of fact, um, you know, Leverite marriage is something that's made provision for in Deuteronomy, but also in Deuteronomy, there's the provision to say, Mm-mm, I, I went out. Right. Which is what Boaz is. There's a man between Ruth and Boaz. Mm-hmm. He enacted. So there was a possibility to get out, whether or not it was uh, in place kind of as a cultural norm at the time of Onan, or it wasn't until after Deuteronomy, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But we do know that Leverite marriage was the norm. Mm-hmm. They did it in Mesopotamian cultures. We have Hittite writing um, concerning it. And we also have Middle Eastern, uh, uh, sorry, Middle Assyrian culture. So we, we've got definitely that this was, uh, this was a practice that already had rules and, and guidelines in place. Right. Now, Who's they were following? That's going to be another question. Now, is is this also kind of one of those things where um, it was heavily enforced uh, by other cultures, and then when we get into uh, the the laws and the practice of of Israel, they kind of relaxed that, um, mm. or is it just kind of? Do we think it's just kind of a cultural shift in general? Yeah, it seems to be pretty much heavily enforced because. Um, in Judaism, it was pretty much only prescribed if a man didn't have a child. Mm-hmm. In other cultures, it didn't matter. Really? Okay, so, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so it seems like with Judaism, it really is, let's just protect the inheritance. Okay. And and there's some debate on whether once the inheritance was protected, were they still married? Or was she free to go on and marry someone else? Yeah. And... I don't think, well, the rabbis are debating it, so I'm not even going to pretend like... Like we know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then Judah, you know, you've got this woman who basically Judah's now viewing as a black widow, and two of his sons have died because of her. Sure. And he's got a third son, and he doesn't want to give her the third son because he's scared of what's going to happen. Well, and what's really funny is later it's explained it's because of their actions and not because they're married to her. Right. It has nothing to do with Tamar. Yeah. Whatsoever. But but Judah kind of has that. Uh, well, he's that blind spot some parents have for their kids. Yeah. And he <laughs> kind of yeah. looks at her as like superstitiously. So, but no, so yeah, that that's that's good stuff. That that's a interesting point that yeah, it later it's fully explained in the text that it's not. Yeah, it's, it's not anything to do with her. Yeah, and then so then Judah says to Tamar, and we're in verse eleven. Uh, his daughter-in-law says, "Stay as a widow in your father's house until to my son Shelah grows up, for he thought he too might die like his brothers." So Tamar went to live with her father's house. Okay, that seems like oh look, you can go back home to your family and you can be happy. No, because wasn't I mean, wouldn't it make more sense? What shouldn't she stay with Judah? Absolutely. He, she was now part of his family. She was now part of his clan. The association she had with her dad's t- um, family, legally, that was dissolved, that, mm-hmm. that, that shifted. So she was now Judah's responsibility. Daughter. Yeah, she was his daughter. She was his responsibility. He had no right to send her back yeah. to her father's I, I house. I thought that sounded kind of iffy when I read mm-hmm. it. Like, and so Judah's not, you know, he's not behaving honorably. So basically he's hoping to send her back and hoping she'll forget about the arrangement by the no, time. No, actually he's sending her back to be a living widow. I mean, a, 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 the living dead basically at this point. Well, yeah, but I mean, my, my, yeah, he, he's doing it, but I, I think 
but it seemed to me like he was sending her away so that by the time the younger son was old enough that she might not cash in the claim. Yeah, yeah. What well, and see, the problem with that is because she can't have any kind of relationship. So she was always, uh, the the idea that she might forget. I mean, after all, even living at home. That's that's kind of hard for me to see her doing that uh, because. I I, I that's all I'm mm-hmm. saying. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's something that we can expect from her. But I think I think to me it, it reads like Judah is is, is hoping it, for that. So you, you're regardless thinking, of what happens and what is reasonable, I think he's hoping for that so, yeah, okay. because it says he doesn't want his youngest son to die. Yeah, well, no, I get that. And so he doesn't want to send. He doesn't want him in in the marriage with her. Oh, I agree with and that. So so I think that that it reads to me that that that's his hope, regardless of what's reasonable. I think that's his hope. I don't even know if he's like hoping she'll forget. I th- I think maybe that's what's what's throwing me. Maybe I think he is definitely hoping that something happens to prevent it. I, I right yeah and so I, I do or do, that maybe he can move back home and and no one will know right or something you know something, something like that yeah I I think that's to me that's what it reads is that oh yeah definitely that distance yeah yeah get her out of my house exactly and so yeah we're totally on the board of that because if she's she is really at this point um she she is living dead mm-hmm. that that's who she is and and. She couldn't be with anyone else, and she couldn't even seek someone else to, out to marry. And right. this is a miserable existence. You got to remember at this point in time, your whole value as a woman was based on whether or not you could produce heirs. And you right. could have the rest of the town look at her. I mean, if Judah is looking at her as this black widow, how did everybody else see her? Yeah. So very like you said superstitious times and so these viewpoints wouldn't have been limited just to judah yeah and so it's you're supposed to produce life but instead you did the opposite kind of pretty yeah i yeah i hadn't put it like in those terms but that yeah and so um judah's still not he's not the man we want him to be yet and uh, so Let's just, I'll just read. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. go on with the narrative. <laughs> Verse 12. A long time after, Shua's daughter, we don't know how long. Uh, it would be nice to know how long. Uh, but a long time after Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah died. When his period of mourning was over, Judah went up to Timnah, to his sheep shearers, and told his friend Hira the Adulamite. And Tamar was told, your father-in-law is coming up to Timnah, for the sheep shearing, and she took off her widow's garb to cover her face with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat down at the entrance entrance of Enain, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw Sheila had grown up, yet she had not been given him to as a wife. Given to him as a wife. Okay, the part of this that cracks me up: How long has she been plotting a scheme in this? Because she did not go down to Walmart and buy a veil. Right. And so that that makes me think she might have been handy with thread. I don't. Is she? She might have, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so she either a got help from somebody else, mm-hmm. or b she had woven or purchased this veil at some point, thinking that she was going to need it. Right, because you're you're. It's not just anything works as a veil because. Uh, Judah here uh, identifies her as a cultic prostitute, as it says later in the text. Precisely. And so you're going to have to have some specific garb in order to to play that role. So I mean, and and who knows? You know, and she may have had sisters who, <laughs> who she could borrow stuff from, or you know, we don't know. There's there's just nothing in the text to indicate. But uh, but there, you're right. There was a plan. Yeah, she and it's a great plan. I and this is what I love about her. She understands. Not only how society works, she understands how Judah, Judah's mind works. Right. And she goes to the place. I love it. The place where she sits is literally means open eyes. And yet Judah fails to recognize her. Mm-hmm. So uh, he actually, he sees what he thinks is a prostitute and he hires her. And um, when, she, when he asks to hire her, she says, what will you pay, me, pay for sleeping with me? And he replied, I will send you a kid for my flock. But she said, you must leave a pledge until you have sent it. So she's smart. 
Right. Don't take Judah's word for anything at this point. Men have not been too trustworthy. Sure. And he says, what pledge shall I give you? And she replied, your seal and cord and staff, which you carried. And so he gave them to her, slept with her, and she conceived by him. Then she went on her way, took off her veil, and put on her widow's garb. So she's asking for, I want your wallet. I want your me social security. Your wallet, your keys, any, anything you have on you. Yeah, your social security card, the registration to your car. I mean, she, she is asking for it all. And evidently, either Judah just is that desperate that he's will, or she's the only one around. He, he okay, sure. Because the the staff uh, was probably carved with uh, like a family history. Sure. So this would tell, you know, his lineage. Uh, the cord is an indication of status. Mm-hmm. And, and then the seal, that's... Having a signet, that, that meant you were someone. You were someone, and that is indisputable proof of a person's identity. Right. And so very much everything that made Judah Judah... Um, this is what it is. But also these are things that as we get into the monarchy with Saul and David and everybody, mm-hmm. these are signs of kingship. Right. And so Judah gives his kingship to this prostitute. And he just, he, he gives them away. And then whenever he sends his servant back, which good for him, he sends his servant back with the sheep. Excuse me. Sends him back with the sheep. And when they can't find her, they give up. Right. And so we're back with Esau and that bowl of red lentils. And what are you willing to give away in order to, to feed your fleshly desires? Right. And so that we've got that connection there. Well, and then, then we also have kind of this, um, this, this line in here where he says, hey, the people in the city don't seem to know what we're talking about. So let's stop so we won't be laughed at. Yeah, because we don't want to be laughed at. We're and right so that, that was that tie. I wanted to throw that out there that, you know, we don't want to be satirized. We, you know, and and yep. then we have that where the, the other son was made a joke in the text, which is kind of funny. I didn't realize that. But you have to know the language to really get yeah, it. Yeah, that's one of those little yeah things it, God preserves for those who study Hebrew. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> um, well, and Rashi even takes it a step further, and he says that the chords— um, he connects it to the idea of a cloak. Okay. And so he relates that back to Joseph's coat. Um, I think it's stretching it a bit. Sure. But at the same time, Joseph's cloak was what identified him as the favorite, as, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what the, the, the chords do too. So there is some overlap. I just don't think it's that one-to-one correlation that Rashi would like it for, for it to be. Uh, but yeah, the, the symbols of kingship, I think that's huge. Uh, that that's going to become a huge part of the 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 story, and so the other thing that really impresses me is, um, like you said, the friend went back. There's no prostitute here. They say, you know, let's just give this up. Um, and three months later, I love that that's specific. Three months later, no one thing I t- I do think, and I I know we touched on this, but it seems it seems odd to me. That you would assume that by now that Judah had heard about, you know, God and from, from Jacob and that that's who you're supposed to worship. But then he goes down and he sees a prostitute and sleeps with her. But it's not only a prostitute, it's a cultic prostitute. And so I'm curious about that. That just seems totally okay. off point. Are you- yeah, I've actually got something on that. Okay. Because I, 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 I missed it. I meant to bring it up. Um. If you read the narrative, it's always she's just she's just a harlot. She she's not a cultic prostitute. She's she's a zona. She's not a kadusha. Um, oh, okay. Well, so, um, would you like to give us the difference between those two yeah. things? Uh, the because um, <laughs> everyone okay, uses kadush, those words. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> uh, I said that wrong. Uh, too. I'm. They've got transliterations in this book, and I hate that because my brain doesn't process them. Uh. So she, the, the idea, one is just a gal out there hustling the streets, making her money to survive. Okay. okay. The, the Celtic prostitute is a woman who is in service to a specific God. Sure. It is having sex to, to help create fertility in the earth. Because the idea was 
uh, we talked about sympathetic magic uh, mm-hmm. a few episodes back, that if humans had sex in service to the god and called the god to, to, to pay attention to it, then they might excite the gods into having sex. And if the gods had sex, then you would get rain and you get um, thunder and lightning and all mm-hmm. of these things that brought the storms that allowed you to have the Food. crops. Yeah. So that's what these cultic prostitutes do. Now, during the, this narrative, if you go through, we're just talking about the gal on the streets, uh, mm-hmm. is how it's talking. It's only whenever the servant's looking for her and he's asking the other Canaanites, have you seen her? So the Torah, the, the writer of the Torah, is saying prostitution's bad. There's really no such thing as a special prostitute. But then the friend looking for him is like, oh, I, I don't want to hack anyone off. I need to be respectful for the land I'm in. Cause it's, and so there's kind of, uh, you know, conceding to, mm-hmm. the, to the concessions of the day for the friend and for, for um, Judah right. when they're talking to others in the land. But outside of that, then it's always it's not that word for the for the uh, temple prostitute. Okay. So, yeah, and it, it, it's it's still a weird story. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great social commentary because uh, it, it is that that's uh, Judaism is one of the few ancient religions that did not practice temple prostitution. Right. And their their uh, laws on sexuality are are so much more strict than almost any other culture at that time. Right. And so it, it would have totally made sense and, uh, to an ancient reader. But so three months later, uh, about the time that most of us start to notice that our friends might be pregnant, uh, Judah gets word uh, that Tamar has been playing the prostitute. And, and no, I think it's funny. <laughs> Let me find it here. Uh, what verse is that? Uh, that is verse 24. Yeah, so... It's funny because it says your daughter Tamar has played the harlot. In fact, she is with child by her harlotry. And I think it's funny because, you know, we, we talk about differences in translations. You know, in the ESV, it says um, uh, your, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Mm-hmm. And moreover, she's pregnant by her immorality. But I think it's funny, the, the phrasing, because to me, I don't know if this is exactly what they meant, but literally she pretended to be a prostitute. Mm-hmm. and when the when the translation is she played the prostitute to me that was kind of funny um well it, just the way it was phrased and i don't know if there's any necessarily necessarily any significance to that but it just cracked me up well it's one of those things that you'll find this occasionally with the torah uh, well we see this with rachel um when uh laban goes into the tents and he's looking for the idols and rachel says the way of women is upon me now, we as the reader know that this has nothing to do with whether or not she is actually on her period or if it's just an excuse. Mm-hmm. But there's that inside joke there that whether or not she actually is, the point is she's still capable of having children. Right. And so it, it, it invites us to explore this inner dialogue that we're having with the text that goes beyond what the participants or the characters in the text have. Mm-hmm. And so here, she played the prostitute. Well, we know she literally played the prostitute. Right. It, it wasn't that she has out just, this isn't a euphemism for she's is a prostitute. So, mm-hmm. um, but Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. Right. This is not, that's wrong. <laughs> There's, it, it's just, it's wrong. Right. You, I'll you, agree with you on that. Yeah. You, not good to burn people. Well, it's not good to burn people, but you don't even burn people. I mean, you do burn people. You burn specific women for adultery or immorality, but only specific women. You don't burn women for adultery all the time. Ancient cultures. Right. Not, right. not, not today. Yeah. Not to, you know, we're I'm not, not endorsing gonna... that. <laughs> yeah. Something where we aren't like going to form a committee and yeah, no, that's not going to happen. The, the committee for burning women. <laughs> yes. I I think that sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, even worse than Burning Man. And we're saying anyway. we're saying we're not doing that. <laughs> not that is doing not that. happening. So. Yeah, but under okay, so under Jewish law, um, if you were caught in adultery, you were stoned. Mm-hmm. That that there you go, you over done with. You right. you weren't supposed to do it. Only one time, only on one set of circumstances, was a woman burned for committing adultery, and that's when she was the daughter of a priest. Okay. 
the daughters of priests caught in adultery, they were burned. So what does this tell us about Tamar? Uh, you just go ahead. I, I, <laughs> actually, I don't have time to yeah. think of that. <laughs> actually, it tells us nothing. Um, so well, I, thanks. <laughs> but no, I, it was set up all along. I, it was, because I get to But do it that. was not a setup. Yeah, it, it was. Because you weren't actually setting me up for anything, <laughs> other than to say, I don't know. No, it, it, it leads to some interesting speculation. And it goes back to that question, how much of the Torah did they have access to? Mm-hmm. Because under the Torah, you, you burned a woman who was a daughter of a priest if she was caught in adultery. And so... If Tamar is the daughter of the priest, the rabbis actually speculated that her father was none other than Melchizedek. Interesting. And so, yes, very interesting, because now we're into that whole whole line of Melchizedek, uh, the priesthood, and it's being brought into Judah's family. Um, We know that Tamar did get, you know, she's pregnant. It's going to be through these children that uh, the tribe of Judah is formed. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting, but I, and I wish I could say, this is it. This is how it fits. All I can say is this really fun speculation. And, but Tamar is, she's so, you just got to love her because she knows what she's doing. She knows that quite literally she's playing with fire. Right. And she, she's not willing to set back and, and accept what Judah's willing to dole out to her. And even the way she handles it, when, when Judah sends for her, she takes the things he's given her, the cord, the staff, and the seal, and she has it sent to him. And, it, and the wording seems to make it sound like it's a very quiet thing right. that she does. And she says the, these, these great words, please identify, right. please examine. Yeah. If you listened last week, you know that when they took Joseph's coat to Jacob, covered in blood, what do they ask? Please identify. Yeah. Please examine. And there's a goat in the story and everything. And, and everything. Yeah. There, it, it, there's so much connection back to this. And we have the most amazing thing happen here in Scripture. And Judah does something that has never happened in all of the Bible up to this point. He accepts what he did wrong. Mm-hmm. He owns it, and he repents. And he says, she was more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her my son, Sheila. And so he, he owns it. He gets it. Up until this point, every time there's been a man and a woman in a situation, the man has pointed the finger at the woman. It's her fault. She made me eat. It's her fault. She's too beautiful. It's her fault. Mm-hmm. I, all the way along. So this is the first time, and it's because he gets it here that this is going to be what prepares him to walk forward with uh, Joseph in uh, Egypt and the, the things that he says to Joseph there. And this is why Judah is the right candidate for the kingship, because in acknowledging what he did, the symbols of kingship are now returned to him. Sure. And so it, it, the story, even though some people say it's been inserted and it's not really part of the original text, it really serves to illuminate everything else that goes on. And Tamar is so important that she becomes included in the lineage of Christ. Right. In Matthew 1, she's one of four women. There's uh, Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, and Ruth. Mm-hmm. All these women, they're either Gentiles or they're connected to Gentiles. They're all involved in some kind of sexual scandal. Uh, they're... There is a connection to that Watcher story in their story somehow, at least linguistically, Mm -hmm. like we saw with Tamar. And in a lot of ways, this really sets us up for who Jesus is, Jesus is, because Jesus, he's coming to save the world. Mm -hmm. So the the, the Gentile women, he is coming to right the wrongs that were committed in the Genesis 6. Right. He is also, he is the son of God and a human ma- a woman. And the, the sexual scandal prepares us for the fact that Mary's going to be facing this. Mm-hmm. So it all fits together and it all comes back around, but you don't see that if you don't teach the story. And I know it's a hard story to teach, but... Yeah, but 
but and you know you talked about the four women four women in the in the line but if you look at all the people not just the women but you look at all mm-hmm. the people all of them are messed up mm-hmm. and it's and they're somehow like it connected to the story, though, that God's telling over and over again, and I, I said it early on, the, the, the Old Testament, uh, the whole Bible is just people <laughs> screwing it up and God fixing it. It's the story of redemption. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting that you have in the lineage, the, the four women who are mentioned are specifically involved in these sexual scandals or even, you know, outright sexual sin or, mm-hmm. or some, you know, adultery and just right, various... Tamar wasn't right. Right. So, go ahead. Uh, yeah, but... But instead of saying, oh, well, this is this has all happened according to a perfect plan. So God suspended uh, that. That's always been to me the weakest <laughs> argument for any of the stuff. Oh, well, this was circ- special circumstances because it was according to God's plan that did. So it wasn't sinful at this time for them to do this. No, it absolutely was. And that's the reason we need Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make the story better to say God can just suspend the rules whenever he wants to. And not to say that he can't, because well, wait, you know, we see him suspending, you know, all kinds of physical laws when Jesus comes around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, but it drives me nuts. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go off on this. But it drives me nuts whenever we're like, oh, well, there, there was special dispensation of, of, of uh, permission for them to, the, to do that at the time. No, it, God comes in and he redeems. And, mm-hmm. and the fact that there are four women who are involved in some kind of thing like this, it, to me, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, sexual issues. Oh, that, that's easy to forgive. Yeah, I got that covered, too. Yeah. It, it's not a big. But again, it, it, the Bible never sets up sex as like this great, mystical, amazing thing. I mean, the closest we get to it is Song of Solomon. And but yeah. other than that, sex is it, it's part of life. It's right. not some idol that we have to clean up and worship and make sure it's upheld as the perfect and you know and if you mess that up then you aren't good enough right and we're the ones who do that the yeah, bible the bible doesn't exactly and i you know and i've always wondered you know that whole special dispensation and you're like well then how do i know if god's ever going to give me a special dispensation to break the rules and who's going to allow who's going to believe me when i say that i and these yeah. were like you yeah. know thoughts what? way back when yeah it, but, yeah no i had those same thoughts in my mm-hmm. in my own childhood it's like okay well when is it okay when do we get when do we get the special dispensation mm-hmm. is an angel going to show up and tell me hey you know what god has a plan to get to work this through so you know for now you can you can go do whatever you want in this situation and and it's going to be okay because god has planned for this now yeah. okay now if, if i come to repentance will it ultimately be okay in a way uh you know Sure, well, God, but we also have to realize there are still going to be consequences for sinful actions, and it's and it's not it's not special dispensation that says no this this is moral in this case. Yeah, well, and, and that's I think you just hit it on the head. Uh, God removes the condemnation from the sinful acts, uh, and we don't have to worry about you know whether or not God loves us or not, or whether He's displeased or what. But He doesn't remove the consequences. I mean, you know. A, just a real world example. If I get drunk and I go get in a car wreck and kill people and will God forgive me for that? Absolutely. Will that bring, mean he brings everybody back to life and the cars are magically repaired? And that's, no, not, that's not, not how not it works. Bit. Yeah. And so, but we serve this God who absolutely 100% does redeem. And I think that's the beauty of Tamar's story. Um, she, you know, she was kind of pushed into a corner. She mm-hmm. didn't, um, she did not ask for forgiveness. She didn't ask God, appeal to God for help that we know of. Because um, the, the flip side of that, and I didn't point this out, is you know the fact that she may have been the daughter of a priest. She may have been a temple prostitute, and her father may have been the priest of another god. Um, so she may not have known to ask. Sure. So I, there, there's all of these things that can come into play, and you know, and maybe the the hope that she was Melchizedek's daughter. Um, it's just another way for us to go, oh, it's not as bad as we thought it was. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, and we have that tendency to do that and, and to clean up the story and to make it pretty. And I, that's why I think I like this story. There's no cleaning it up. Right. It, you cannot make this pretty. And by the way, um, well, I want to contradict myself. It is made prettier because if, when we get to Ruth, and we'll go through Ruth at some point, Ruth and Boaz, it's the same story. Sure. It, it, it's just prettier. Right. So, so yeah, but yeah. So anyway, that's that's a, a long tangent that I <laughs> didn't mean to go on there. But yeah, the the Bible's rough. So, um, and then uh, at the end of the story, um, just 
real quick. Mm-hmm. We'll go through this. So apparently, uh, Tamar uh, conceived twins. Uh-huh. And this kind of echoes back to uh, Jacob, Jacob and Esau, Esau because they say during during the labor, one of them stuck an arm out and the midwife tied a, a cord to it. Mm-hmm. And then he pulled his arm back in and then his brother came out. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I do think that's kind of an interesting echo to that. Do you have more on that that we want to cover or is it? No, no, it's kind of that's kind of the cap on the end of it. It will come back around. Um, This is just kind of basically the 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 closing that, yes, her her efforts were not for naught. And so she she was successful and she actually becomes part of um, the some of the blessings that are given that, you know, you'd be fruitful like Tamar and and have children like uh, Perez and Zara. Uh, So she she is celebrated even in this. But, um, and, well, and then, but yeah, but we do have that, that wrapping up. So she has two sons mm-hmm. and now she has also the older child share of the inheritance from Judah. Exactly. So and, there is the redemption in that aspect. of Yes. It. And, and Judah's tribe, they're going to flow from these two. Right. And they're going to be the ones that, that are remembered as the fathers of the tribe after, you know, right after Judah. And we should point out too, this is going to connect to next week's episode because next week's episode is going to be about Potiphar and Joseph, Potiphar's wife and Joseph. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have this, the sexual theme that's going to run for a little bit uh, and how God is bring, using sexual situations to still fulfill his purposes. How he's not necessarily using them, but overcoming yeah. sexual misconduct. Redeeming. Redeeming. Redeeming the situations. Yeah. That's yeah. so. So, yeah, not that he ordained him. But <laughs> right. So, uh, that being said, I think we're going to wrap up for this week. Uh, we're running a little long, but I think it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, thank you everyone for joining us. And if you like what you heard, again, like, subscribe, share. Those are the best ways to help us out. Uh, if you want to help us out, we would appreciate it. <laughs> and <laughs> who knows? You may not want your friends to know you listen to this show. Um <laughs> <laughs> they talk about all kinds of stuff, but that's the appeal. So uh, your friends will like it too. So uh, <laughs> I'm, wrap I'm, it up before I make a horrible I'm, joke. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm terrible at uh, at uh, promoting my my own products. So uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks you. Thanks you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you like what you heard, yeah, share it with a friend. Uh, find us, be part of the conversation on social media. Raven Creek SC gets you anywhere on social, uh, pretty much any social media. You can find us there, ravencreeksc.com. Or if you really, really like what you heard, uh, Raven Creek or uh, patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. Or you can hit the support link on the ravencreeksc.com page. And uh, that's uh, how you can contact us. That's all, folks. <laughs> all right. Have a good week. Oddities Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.